Great. Good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be here. What a great time of worship, and uh, I love uh, what the Lord is doing in this place. And if you want to turn to your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 12. So for those of you who don't know who I am, uh, my name's Jonas. I have uh, pioneered uh, a live Grantham, which was the first location outside of Lincoln. Uh, so my wife, Sean and I moved up uh, 12 and a half years ago from North London. Before that, I was an Anglican minister for 10 years in Cockfosters, which is right at the end of the Piccadilly line. And uh, the Lord took us out of the Anglican Church. I love the Anglican Church. would have stayed there if the Lord had told us to, uh, but he had other plans. And he took us to Grantham, to a town we'd never heard of. And we started uh, in a front room with two other couples 12 and a half years ago. And uh, I love pioneering. And I love being here this morning. It's just a great sense of pioneering into this new season. And uh, Sean isn't 100% well, otherwise she would have been here. Uh, we've got two kids who are teenagers, and the thought of them getting out at seven in the morning and driving here and be back at six, uh, they weren't quite up for. Uh, but it is lovely to be here. So let's turn to the Word of God. Shall we? Acts chapter 12, and we're carrying on our series looking at this culture of partnership. And uh, here in Alive, we don't have a formal membership, but what we're, we're wanting to really develop and strengthen is this organic culture of partnership which really flows from Philippians 1.5, where Paul says, I thank God for the partnership that we have in the gospel. This sense of we're in this together. And it's certainly been my experience over 20 years of ministry that I think in the Western world, certainly, we've really lost sight of what God's heart is for what it means to be part of a local church. We've just kind of lost some of the blueprint, the heartbeat behind what the Lord wants us to do and to be together uh, in the local church. And so really the heart behind this series, and this is how we're teaching it in Grantham, and pray it is with you, is that we're just saying, let's unpack what the Bible says. Uh, And you go off and chew on it and work out for yourself whether this is what you believe, this is what the Bible says. But if we really see this is biblical, then let's be Christians and obey what God is saying. Uh, And put down all our own personal preferences and just say, okay, Lord, I want to follow you because I believe what you want for me is the best thing for me. And I just, my prayer is that as we do this across our life, there'll be a sense of God come and fan into flame again, a passion for the local church, a passion for what God wants to do in his people and through his people uh, in the communities that they're part of. And so we're walking through this culture of partnership and unpacking what we see in the New Testament that means. So Acts chapter 12, and we're finishing off this morning looking at we are prayers. We are prayers. So Acts chapter 12. It's a long reading. I don't apologize for that. If you can't read the Bible in church, where can you read it? Um, So Acts chapter 12, reading verses 1 through to 24. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter, this is the key verse, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries, Uh, before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Now wrap the cloak around you and follow me. 
And he went out and followed him. He didn't know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in, reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And, and they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. And when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod had searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered they should be put to death. And they went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked uh, for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give glory, uh, give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we love you. I thank you so much, God. Thank you so much you don't treat us like we deserve. Thank you so much for your patience and your grace and your forgiveness and your mercy. And that is our total confidence this morning, God. It is all in you, Jesus. It's not in our performance. It's not in who, who we are. It's in you. And so, Holy Spirit, breathe afresh upon this location. I just really sense in the, in the spirit this morning, this really is a line in the sand morning. There's a sense of a new season coming. There's a sense of us stepping into the new things of God. And so, God, I pray this would be a, a real blessing that, that people would capture something of, of the privilege of prayer, of the joy of prayer, of the power of prayer. And, God, I pray you, you would just raise up the prayer levels in this location. Do that in my life personally. Do it across the life. But I pray specifically for these dear, dear people here. God, just bless the socks off them this morning. And I pray Revive would be, the, would be packed out with people desperate to see you come in this town. And so, Jesus, come and have your way, I pray, in your glorious, saving name. And we welcome you here, Holy Spirit. You're welcome here. You're here whether we welcome you or not. But in that moment, we're saying, God, come and do your stuff. We open our hearts and say, come and breathe life into the word that we just read. And may we all leave here differently to the way we've walked in, including myself. And so, Jesus, we love you. We adore you. We honor you. We put you at the center of this location. No agenda but Jesus. 
and come and speak life and encouragement and joy and the breath of God upon us this morning. And I pray this in your namesake, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Great. So you, what time do you finish usually? 12. Okay. Oh, bless you. That's dangerous to say. Just keep going. Well, we're going to look at prayer this morning. And uh, I was reading a, a true story this week about a, a church in America that uh, in a, a small town that had never had a bar in this town. And a bar opened in this town, and this church, I'm not making a comment on this, but this church were horrified that a, a bar was opening in their town. And so they planned an all-night prayer meeting to, in, to ask God to intervene that this bar was opening. And during this night, this is a true story, there was a thunderstorm, and lightning struck this bar and burnt it to the ground. And the bar owner actually took the church to court and sued them. It's a true story. And, and in this courtroom, the church basically argued that they were not responsible at all for what happened. And the bar owner said they are totally responsible. And the presiding judge, after his initial review of the case, stated this. No matter how this case comes out, one thing is clear. The bar owner believes in prayer and the Christians don't. <laughs> it's brilliant. I love that. And this morning we're thinking about the power of prayer. Do you believe things can shift in an instant in this town? Things can just, in a moment, just transformed in this town through the power of the Holy Spirit and the joy of walking with him and the power of a praying church. And in Acts 12, we see this wonderful story, this incredible miracle, one of the most glorious miracles, I think, in, in, the, in the book of Acts, where Peter is miraculously set free from prison again. It happened in Acts 5, but it, again he's set free. And we just have this verse, Acts 12, verse 5, Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So here's Peter, this maximum security prison, looking impossible for him to break out, but the church prayed. And as they prayed, everything shifted, and a miracle happened. And I, we're going to look at just five characteristics of what it means to pray. What does a praying church look like? What does it mean for us individually? And I'm just, I guess I'm speaking to people in this show. I don't know anyone really here very well, but I'm addressing you. If you call yourself a Christian... That means you're following Jesus. You're going somewhere. None of us have made it. None of us have reached where we're going to be. We're only perfect when we get to heaven. But this morning, I want us to say, God, lead us deeper into prayer. And, and there are different people, maybe at different stages. Some of us may have a, a passion for prayer. And we, we may just be flying in this. And just spending an hour in prayer is nothing for us. We just love it. And that's glorious. And that's wonderful. And there may be others in here who, who, if you're honest, you just find prayer boring. It, it doesn't ignite anything in your heart, and you, you struggle, and you think, oh, the last place I want to be is at Revive. And I just want to be honest. We've got to be honest, haven't we? We've got to be real. And this morning, wherever you're at in that sort of spectrum of prayer, I just pray, God, come and just set a firework in this place for prayer. Help us to come as we are and just say, God, speak to me about the power and the privilege of prayer again. And five characteristics that we see in this early church about what a praying church looks like. 
five things. The first thing is this. Prayers endure, verses 1 and 2. Prayers endure. The first characteristic we see is this, this group of people were experiencing devastation in their lives. At the time, we know in history books, there was a huge famine around Jerusalem at this time. These, Jew- these Jewish Christians would have been under huge financial pressure. They would have been struggling to know where the next meal came from. They were under huge pressure, just as much as anyone else was, just living in the reality of a fallen world. And alongside this huge pressure of this famine, we see this massive persecution that broke out from Herod and the Roman authority. So in verse 1, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands. It's not just hands. Luke is wanting us to see the violence they were experiencing on some who belonged to the church. They were suffering violent persecution simply because they loved Jesus. And friends, we need to understand as we're sat here this morning, millions of people are suffering persecution simply because they love Jesus. I don't know about you, it puts my pity parties into perspective. It really does. People are literally risking their lives for the privilege of being gathered with other Christians. And some of us just struggle to get up because we're feeling slightly tired and want to watch Match of the Day. You know, that's the sort of thing that challenges me. Maybe you're more holy than I am. But that, I hear that and I just think that is an incredible, incredible truth. These people love Jesus and they were suffering horrendously for it. And in this moment, we just see James was beheaded with the sword. He was beheaded because that was a mark of, of a criminal, of, of an absolute rejected person culturally at the time. And so Herod isn't just wanting to kill James, he's wanting to kill the morale of the church too. And here's this church under huge pressure, just living life like everyone else, and yet they, in the midst of that pressure, they endured in prayer. Don't be surprised if the more you surrender your life to God and the more you pray, the fiercer the battle feels. It, it, it isn't the simple of you pray more and then life gets easier. No, your heart gets lighter, but life will still suck at times. But Jesus is always Lord. And this praying church endured. The second thing is they persisted. And I want us to really grasp this. We need to understand that this is true life. Real people at a real point in time, having a real relationship with a real God. So just put yourself in the shoes of this early church. Because this group of people didn't just have to endure through the battles of life. I want to suggest they had to persist through the pain and the stigma and the mystery of unanswered prayer. And if we're going to be people who pray, we need to realize this is something we need to push through. You see, here's Herod. He's, he's really seen the popularity he's got from killing James. So he arrests Peter. And here's Peter on, on maximum security prison, on death row. And he plans to kill him. And he's guarded by 16 soldiers and one chained on his left, the other chained on his right. Humanly speaking, the situation looks impossible to escape from. And here's Peter kept in prison, but the church prayed. And they prayed earnestly 
It's a great word. That word earnestly in the Greek, it's an athletic term, meaning to strain every muscle. They devoted themselves. They gave everything they had to praying for this. And it's in the continuous tense in the Greek as well. It means they kept praying and praying and praying and praying. They continued to pray. They were focused, persistent, committed, and earnest in prayer. And I want to suggest there's a few things that could easily have taken them out of prayer. A few things that you and I have got to walk through. If we're going to be prayers who cling to Jesus and persist in prayer, we've got to be ready to walk through these things. The first thing is this. They could easily have given up because I think they'd prayed for exactly the same thing a few moments, well, a few days before, and God seemingly hadn't answered their prayer. It isn't in the text, but I want to suggest to you that I think this early group of Christians would have gathered and prayed for James just as they did for Peter. And in this moment, can you just imagine, again, please, this is reality. These are normal people. In this moment, they've seen their dearly, their brother James, their brother in the Lord James, beheaded because he loves Jesus. And then just a few hours or days later, Peter is arrested. The very same thing happened to Peter that happened to James. And in that moment, they had to grapple with this question. Do I still pray for this? Even when I prayed for it before and it didn't happen. And that is the mystery of prayer. That there is just times in life where we pray and God breaks in wonderfully. But there are times in life when we pray exactly the same way, with exactly the same levels of faith, and God doesn't seemingly answer in the way that we want. There'll just be times we just don't understand. I'm really sorry if this offends your theology, but... I don't see in the Bible anywhere, name it and claim it. I don't see anywhere in the Bible, you just have enough faith and it's definitely going to happen. I don't just see that in the New Testament. God breaks in miraculously, gloriously sometimes. We've seen that. It's wonderful. And then we've prayed and fasted for people who have gone and been ultimately healed in heaven. But they've died. And then there's the grief and there's the pain. And I want us to be real about this. That if we're going to be a people of prayer, we need to understand we've got to just walk through the mystery of prayer and say, God, I don't understand why that person was healed or this person wasn't. I understand why this hasn't happened yet. But this I know, you are good and you are God. And I'm clinging to you even in the midst of my doubts and my anger and my frustration and my questioning. And if we're going to be a mature people of God... It means when the mystery happens, we don't run away, we just get on our knees and cling. And we scream and we shout and we weep, but we do it with him and we cling to him in that moment. It's okay not to understand. It's okay to have questions and doubts and pain and disappointment. God can handle that. You read the book of Psalms, it's everywhere. And it's about walking with Jesus and praying and clinging to him. And I think these people could easily have just given up on prayer. Well, it didn't happen for James. Why are we going to bother praying for Peter? I think they could have given up because of the timing. 
Do you see all that in the text? It was the very night before. Now, we know that they'd been waiting till the, the feast had finished, which lasted, I think, eight days. So Peter could easily have been in prison for a week. Every day, these guys may have gathered, crying out, God, do it, God, do it, God, do it. And seemingly nothing had shifted or changed. And at the very last night, what did they do? Did they give up? Oh, it hasn't happened yet. We're going to give up. We're going to move on. No, they were still gathered, crying out to him to move. Let me say something that I've noticed about the Lord, is that he's very frustrating in his timing at times. Have you noticed that? You know, there are times that it's just so last minute, or it's just not in the time frame you were longing for or praying for. But his timing is perfect. He's never too early. He's never too late. He's bang on time. Because he sees it, guys, like we never will. He sees everything. And he knows the perfect time to move. But they could have given up because of timing. They could have given up because of the seemingly impossibility of what they were praying for. Here's Peter. Maximum security prison. Didn't work for James. Why are we praying for Peter? And yet they continue to pray. And I want to ask us this morning, is there anyone in this room who's in a prison like Peter was? It's just the impossibility of it. Maybe you look at this town, and, and I love this town. I've only been here a few times, but I think it's a great town, and this is a great church. But when you think, God, we want to see thousands saved in this town, thousands. And we think, God, could you really do that in Wyndham? People said that when we first moved to Grantham. They said churches die in Grantham. They never open. And now 12 and a half years on, God has proved himself so faithful. But the reality is when you look, and you look at maybe mates of mine who I've prayed for for years to know Jesus, and they seem further for him in, from him now <laughs> than when I first started praying. And it's like, Lord, are you going to breathe life into them? You can do this, but I'm struggling so much to see you actually doing this. And there's this impossibility that sometimes can just weigh us down. Are you in a prison? Maybe your marriage, you're thinking, God, how can you breathe life into this? Maybe leave family or health or work situation, finances. Maybe you've lost heart and you're giving up on prayer. And the word from this morning is just keep going. Don't give up. As someone once put it, trying times are not the times to stop trying. And when you hear the vision of what God can do in Wyndham, whoa, don't let past cynicism get in the way. This isn't a spun message. I'm not here as a kind of political rally. If God really is who he says he is, anything can happen in this town. Anything. If God really is who he says he is in this book, anything can happen in this place. This isn't a forgotten place. This is a town with God's heart for. His eyes are on Wyndham. And as you capture the sovereign hand of God upon your life and my life, upon this church, it's like, God, come on. I don't want to just ask you to do stuff. I want to say, God, what are you going to do? And I want to get in line with the blessing you're bringing rather than you asking you to bless what I want you to do. I want to say, God, what are you going to do? Now let me walk in that. And that is what prayer is. It's saying, God, come and do something. But prayer could be so confusing. I'm not an expert. All of them, we're going to see in a moment, he just uses broken people. 
But prayer is so confusing, and yet this I know. A praying church is a powerful church. Here's Peter in prison, but the church prayed. You guys still with me? That was the longest one, in case you're thinking, flippin' heck, five of those bad boys. It's going to be here till four o'clock. Third characteristic, prayer's question. And this is so important. You see, this group of people that experienced this miracle were made up of ordinary, broken, fragile people like me and like you. People full of questions and doubts. And yet they experienced this incredible supernatural power. This angel appears, leads Peter out of prison without anyone realizing what's happened. If, if you read The Heavenly Man, read that book with Brother Yun, it reminds me of that, doesn't it? When you read that part where he walks out of that prison miraculously. And I love the fact in verse 10, they're walking out of the prison and the doors opened of their own accord. And I'm not meaning to be geeky here, but I love the fact that in the Greek, the word for own accord is automato or automati, from which we get the the word, English word, automatic. So 2,000 years ago, God created miraculously the first automatic doors in Acts 12. <laughs> it's wonderful. And here's Peter just walking through. Nothing and no one could have stopped that happening. But just see how fragile these people are. Just be real. You've got to be real. I hate religion. I hate legalism. I hate masks. When you're securing grace, you can just be so true about your weaknesses as well as your successes, if you see what I'm saying. Here's Peter. He's so um, struggling to believe God is doing this, even though he's experienced something before, the angel has to give him instructions on how to get dressed. Here's this mighty man of faith. And yet when he's waking up, he's like, oh, I've got to put my cloak on. And the angel's like, oh, bless you, Peter. Get dressed, mate. Oh, your cloak would probably do as well. Come here. And he walks out, this mighty man of faith. And he's still struggling to believe this is really what God is doing. But then a really great one is the praying church. (laughs) I love this. It's brilliant. It's so real. This praying church gathered that they're praying, God, break Peter out of prison. In Jesus' name, break Peter out of prison. It's going to happen. I feel it. God's done it. You can just imagine this prayer meeting happening with those sort of things. And, And then just picture the scene. They're gathered. They're praying. And there comes a knock at the door. And they go, oh, Rhoda, you go and open the door. Go and see who that is. We're too busy praying for Peter to be released from prison. And Rhoda goes to the door. And I love this so much. She hears that it's Peter who's on the run and potentially going to be captured again and killed. But instead of letting him into safety, she legs it back in. I just love this whole, it's just like a Monty Python sketch, isn't it? It's just brilliant. And she runs back in and there's this mighty crowd of prayers who are so spiritually the SAS of of prayer, that they're praying for Peter to be released. And Rhoda comes back in and says, oh, excuse me. Rhoda, can you you stop interrupting? We're praying for Peter to be released from prison. No, 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 excuse me, it's it's Peter. And then it's a bit of a Mannering moment, isn't it? Mr. Mannering, you stupid girl. You know, (laughs) it's that, it's that, that kind of moment. It's just a wonderful human moment of... We're praying for Peter to be released. Don't be stupid. He hasn't actually done that. And and they're just real people. And then after a while, they say, no, it's Peter's angel. In the first century, they believed, I personally believe, every person has a guardian angel. And in the first century, they believed a person's guardian angel will at times take the form of the person of whom they're the guardian angel of. Anyway, that's just a bit of context for why they're saying it's his angel. 
So they're not saying he's been killed, so they're just saying it's his guardian angel. And in this moment, they just couldn't believe that God would actually have done what they'd been praying for. And these were the people that God used. I just love that. I love the fact the Bible is real about the Muppets God uses. Because it gives me hope. And we should never take ourselves too seriously. We should never think we're better than we are or worse than we are. We just be ourselves with Jesus. And these are the people that God uses. This ordinary group of people struggling to really believe that when God answered their prayer, he had answered their prayer. Max Licardo puts it this way. It wasn't a confident community that prayed in the small room in Jerusalem for Peter's release from prison. It was a fearful, desperate band of backed-into-a-corner believers, a church with no option, a congregation of have-nots pleading for help, and yet never were they stronger. I love that. So as we gather on Thursday, we're gathering in Grantham on Thursday as well, and it's, it's the worst attended meeting we do, prayer. Why is that so often the case? Uh, maybe it's different here. Maybe you guys are more holy than us. But, you know, we're just saying, come, let's gather, let's cry out, let's say, God, come in our day. But the reality is this, there's no superheroes in the kingdom. God just uses ordinary people because there's no one else available. And don't ever feel someone's got it absolutely made. And don't you dare let anyone else think you've got everything absolutely made because then there's no need for grace. And when you cling to grace and you say, God, I'm a mixture of success and struggles. I'm up and I'm down. I have doubts. I have questionings. I'm struggling. But this I do. I'm going to cling to you and ask you to do this. God says, right, there's a humble person I can use. God is drawn by humility infinitely more than he's drawn by any gifting. It's always character. It's always heart. I don't care how good a preacher you are, how good... I'm not going to list it just in case people get offended. But it's about our hearts. And when the hearts are healthy, God's spirit is drawn to that. It's not about being impressive. The only one who's impressive is Jesus. And he dealt with it on the cross. And I've gone on really too long. I'm so sorry. Two final characteristics. You guys still with me? Some of you look a bit shell-shocked, thinking, man, this mad Viking at the front. (laughs) Oh, bless you. Thank you. (laughs) Do you know what, though, guys? If this is true, how can we just nonchalantly walk through life? Do you know what I mean? If this is really true, how can we just be half-hearted? I'm not saying you are at all. I'm speaking to myself. How can we just play at this stuff? We need to throw ourselves and our lives into it. And two final characteristics before we finish. Characteristic number four, prayers navigate. And I really felt just that flow of worship was wonderful. It really captured the heart of Jesus for this morning. And this, this point really backs everything that we've been feeling. God's saying over this location this morning is prayers navigate. As we pray, we've got to be willing just to step out and follow the Holy Spirit. Because it's really interesting in this context where Peter comes in, he, he tells him to be quiet, he explains what's happened, and then we simply read, he departed. And we don't know where Peter went, but the only time in the rest of the book of Acts that he's mentioned is in Acts 15. 
And this moment in Acts 12 marks a really significant transition and change in the book. James, the brother of Jesus, takes up the leadership of the Jerusalem church. And then from Acts 13, Paul is the focus and his missionary journey into the Gentile world. And so suddenly in this moment, everything shifts and changes. And this church goes straight into this new chapter, as it were, in its life. And friends, I want to ask you, be willing to listen to the Holy Spirit and to change. If you want to pray for revival, like most of us do, we've got to be really clear what we're going to be praying for. I meet some people who, who say, I'll pray for revival. And I'm thinking the last thing you really ever want is revival. Because suddenly church wouldn't come about you. Imagine if the Lord moved in Wyndham and there was 500 people here next week. It's suddenly there'd be a lot more connect group leaders needed. There'd be a lot more participation needed and partnership needed. What an adventure. (laughs) What a joy. What if he did that across every church in this town? Come, Lord, do it. And when we pray, we've got to say, Holy Spirit, I don't want just to ask you for stuff. But, but if you're speaking into my life, I want to step into that too, into, into leadership roles, into serving roles, into pioneering roles. I want to walk with you. Are we willing to step out of our comfort zone? Noel Coward once said this, no one likes a change except a wet baby. I mean, that's so true. <laughs> and it's certainly true in local churches. In, um, is this being recorded? Okay, I won't go there. Um, it, it, let me just say, in Grantham, um, we are at a moment where we're, we're, we're just stepping into a new thing. We, we really sense 12 and a half years, God has really blessed us and grown us, and we just, it's all Jesus. We just know it's him. But we're at this point where we're so much, we could be in danger of just settling. It's a relatively full room every week. It's great atmosphere, great worship, incredible youth and kids teams. Um, lots of struggles, lots of things we're rubbish at completely, like every church. Every church just tells you what they're great at, don't they? But there are struggles there too. We really sense, sense God is saying, if we're going to step into what he is calling us to be and do, we're going to have to make changes and step into that. And as I was driving here this morning, I felt the Holy Spirit was saying over you as a location, don't fear. Just as I said to Paul, There are many of my people in this city, I'm saying to you. Don't fear. God is sovereign. He is in total control. He's not in a flap. He's not stressed out. He's not wondering what's happening next. He's on his throne. And I just want to speak over you guys, not over you as in someone better, but just as an encouragement. God really is on the move here. Some of you are struggling to believe that. I really sense God wants to inject in you a fresh level of faith. And a line in the sand moment saying, God, this new season, thank you for all that's been. But God, we're going to step into this new thing. And we're going to believe what we once believed and not allow the fact that it hasn't quite happened maybe to stop us believing it can still happen. Saying, God, come in our day. God will never have a go at us for having too much faith or asking him to do too much. And so go for it. And then the final thing, prayers trust, verses 18 to 24. This group of people knew where the real power lied. 
in verse 24, we just see, uh, verse 23, where this great Herod who wanted to destroy Christianity one day dies. And then in verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. And so I'm just encouraging us this morning that in the midst of the killing, the fear, the persecution, the hatred, the doubts, the questioning, the pain, the threats, the injustice, was God. And God is infinitely greater. He is infinitely in control. He's stronger. He's our redeemer. And he's our healer. And so alive, Wyndham, where's your trust this morning? Let's gather together and say, God, only in you. We, we want to work hard at this stuff. <laughs> we want to work hard at, at communication and preaching. We want to work hard at organization and all that stuff's important. But I tell you what, it's only by the Holy Spirit that anything will happen of eternal worth in this town. And as you know this, I'm just championing you to, to capture that flame afresh and say, God, yes. And you need to know there are hundreds of people praying for you across the line. Hundreds of people praying for a live Wyndham this week. You're not on your own. We're cheering you on. Please pray for us too because we're in this together. And I'd love just to finish. Is that okay? I'm so sorry I've gone on much longer than I was hoping to. Um, I'd love to pray for people in this place. And um, just move that out of the way. But before I do, I'd love us to have a moment of an opportunity for anyone in this room who's never given their life personally to Jesus to do that. But also, there are people in this room, you need to recommit your life to Jesus. If you're honest, you've just been on autopilot. You've just walked it, and all of us can blag it, can't we? <laughs> and there are times in my life I just blag it when I'm on autopilot. I know the Christian things to say. I know when to smile. I know what things to do. And then the Lord says, come on, Jonas. Come back to your first love. And there's people in this room, maybe you need to come back to your first love because it's all about Jesus. And so there's this prayer that we use. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't realize that would be normal time. Thank you, guys. Um, and uh, we, we pray it together. Is that how you guys do it here? So we're going we're gonna to pray this together. Uh, I've used this prayer many times as a recommitment. It's not a sign of immaturity. It's actually a sign of being human and wanting to be in a relationship with Jesus. And so use this opportunity to recommit your life to if you'd like to. So let's say this prayer together. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit that I've lived my life without you and have messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And with our heads bowed, I'd love just to pray for anyone who's prayed that for the very first time. And uh, if that's you, if you just put your hand in the air, I'm just going to pray for you. One of the hosting will connect with you afterwards. But maybe there's someone in this place that you've prayed this for the very first time. just want to pray for you. If you haven't, it's absolutely fine. But just put your hand in the air.
And now what I'd love us to do is to stand together and to pray. And uh, um, if this is okay, I'm really sorry this is uh, maybe something different. But uh, I, I really feel there's a real uh, strength, not just, maybe just the greatest reason is just because of time. It means we all get to pray at the same time. But what I want us to do is to speak out and to pray for what we want Jesus to do in this town. What is your heart for this town? What is it you long to see him do? And so let's, I'm really sorry, if this is something that's very different to you, please don't feel uncomfortable. I'm not based here. Don't judge this location on this. (laughs) This is just something that we like to do. But just for 30 seconds, let's just speak out our longings to God, our cries to God. And uh, let's join together as as one family. Thank God, come in this town. So let's start praying together. God, we thank you for this town. We just pray you'd move in this town. Thank you for Wyndham. I thank you for the the great people in this town. I pray a blessing upon this town. Pray, Father God, you'd breathe a fresh upon this town. I pray for thousands to fall in love with you, God, for the first time in this town, God. I pray, Father God, for a new line in this land, God. I pray for a a freshness and a, a joy to rise up in this town in you. Pray a blessing over every church in this town, God. I pray for unity to deepen in this town, God. I pray your people would be one in this town, God. I pray, Father God, for a real sense of faith and joy and participation in this town. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So, Lord, we just come before you as one, Lord, this this morning. We just say, "Come in, Grant, in Grantham. Come in, Wyndham, Lord. We're crying out for this town, God. We want to make our lives count for you." And so, Lord, come have mercy upon this town. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon this town. We want to see thousands saved. We don't care what church they go to. We just say thousands saved in this town. We're fed up of reading about revival in history and hearing about revival around the world. We love that, God. We thank you for that. But, God, we pray for a revival to hit Wyndham, God, that will shake this town, that generations will read about, Lord, because you have moved in this town. I thank you you have not forgotten this town. I thank you our eyes are on this town. And God, we just cry out to you now. And Lord, I pray now for this location. God, come. Move afresh upon us this morning, Lord. God, I pray our faith levels would rise. I pray we'd see you afresh, Lord. I pray we'd see your majesty and your glory. I pray we'd see the love that's in your eyes, the power that's in your hands, God. I pray people in this room that speak off you cynicism or negative words have been spoken historically over what God can do in this town. I break them in the name of Jesus. I pray for faith to rise up. I pray for hope to rise up. I pray a blessing upon the people that have journeyed for decades in this town. I honor you. I affirm you. I champion you. And I pray, God, come and fall afresh upon us now, Holy Spirit. And give us a fresh oomph for you, Jesus. And so, Lord, we believe in the best is yet to come. We believe in there's a new season, a new chapter. We believe in God that there's great, great days. Thank you for all that you have done. It's been wonderful, God. But just as we pray all across our life, we pray the best is yet to come. Come, Lord God. And I pray this in your mighty, glorious, saving name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.